you ever been amazed by something, ever seen something, you're like, that's just amazing. Sometimes that's a good way. Sometimes that's a good word, right? You're like, that's amazing. Sometimes you're like, that was amazing. Uh, and it, you mean it facetiously, right? Uh, I actually had something amazing happen uh, not long ago, and, and somebody got to witness my um, response to it. Um, so this was, this was kind of fun. Um, so some of you guys got to see, if you're on social media, I'm not, but Ashley is. Uh, we got to go to New York this last week. Let me tell you how that happened. Uh, I was at a, a pickleball tournament, and, I, and you guys probably haven't heard me talk about pickleball before. It's fun. Um, but I was at a tournament, and at this tournament, they had this thing that said, hey, text the word pickleball to this number, and you could, sign, you could win some prizes, right? There could be paddles. There could be all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun. So I sign up for it. Uh, then I go to the, the, the Together for the Gospel conference with Stephen and Morgan. And I'm uh, there with just Stephen at this point. And uh, so I'm in Louisville. And as I'm there, this uh, phone number from Colorado calls me. And I'm like, not answering that. That's a sales call. Don't want that stuff. Uh, and so uh, ignore it. And then I get a text back from the number I texted Pickleball to that said, hey, you may be eligible to have won something. So, you know, whatever. I was like, oh, I better see what that voicemail was because I might have won something. So I was like, see, I'm, I'm going to call back. He's like, okay, right, cool. So he's, 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 you know, we're both a little excited. I'm sitting, I call this number back or I don't call it back. I listen to my voicemail. And as the voicemail is going, uh, it, they, they basically say, it's not that I won a prize. I won the prize, which was two plane tickets to New York, two nights in a hotel, two VIP tickets to the New York Open Pickleball Tournament and $200 to spend while we're there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so my, my jaw's dropping farther and farther. My eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And Stephen's like, what's happening? <laughs> so I get off the phone and I'm like, dude, I just won. I don't win anything. I've never won anything in my life. I've signed up for all kinds of stuff. I've, I've tried to, you know, win. The, I never win anything. And then all of a sudden, here's this. I win the biggest grand prize. This thing was insane. And so I called to tell Ashley. She's like, Colin, that's a joke. <laughs> You're getting pranked. They're trying to scam you for, for stuff. But uh, we, we won. It was, it was awesome. So we got to go and be a part of that. And it was uh, so much fun. It was awesome. It was amazing. We got to see like, Trips are fun. Anybody like to travel? Anybody that kind of person? All right, now imagine traveling, but it's free. It's so much better. Because <laughs> that's the hard part of traveling, right? It's like, man, that costs a lot of money. Man, a free trip, that's where it's at. So we were, I was just, I was amazed by this. I, I've been bragging about it nonstop because I didn't earn it. You know, it's, it wasn't anything I did. It was just exciting. It was amazing. I'm like, man, I won this. This is so cool. This is so much fun. This was great. And it's so easy to be amazed by it because it's right in front of me, right? But did you know that sometimes the stuff that amazes us right in front of our eyes distracts us from being amazed by God? The very things that we can be so amazed by here can be distracting us from our amazement of the Lord. And we're actually going to see a guy who struggled with this very thing. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 9. Acts 8, 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. But there's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. All right, so let's talk through this. So this guy practiced magic and that, uh, that word, um, it's Majeo in, uh, in Greek and it means to do sorcery 
witchcraft or practice black magic. Now, a lot of times you'll hear people go through this passage and they'll say he was performing magic tricks. Um, it, it's certainly possible, right? It is very possible that this guy is just uh, tricking people, deceiving people, practicing something that's, uh, um, you know, de- deceptive arts, right? But it's also possible that he's doing uh, far more dangerous stuff. Uh, we can see this. I'm going to read Exodus 7, 8 through 13. This is uh, in the story with um, Moses and the Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall do as, uh, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it before, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, same word, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So this doesn't describe exactly the type of magic that Simon was practicing. And so what's not, it's not important to know exactly what he's doing, but we do need to understand this. He was doing something that absolutely was deceiving people into not believing in God, distracting people from the Lord. Satan was using this magic power to draw people away from God, which is always his goal for humanity, right? He's using this, this guy that's going out here and doing magic, whether it's tricks or whether he is doing something demonic and it is something that looks supernatural. The goal was to distract people from God. And he is doing it very successfully because the people were amazed by him. Let's, let's see that word. That word means to cause someone to be so astounded as to be practically overwhelmed. Just astounded and overwhelmed like, oh my goodness. One of our greatest struggles is that we're too easily amazed by the world and that we're not nearly amazed enough by God. When was the last time that you looked to God in amazement? Now, I hope that you understand even when I say you, I'm meaning us because this struck me. When was the last time, again, I just got to be amazed by something that was incredible. But when was the last time I just looked at God in amazement, amazed at him and what he's doing? It says that, uh, so they, they were amazed by him and that he was saying of himself that he was somebody great. That word saying is not just telling something. It means to say something in order to explain more fully the implications or intent of what has been said. You see, Simon's God was his own glory, his own reputation in front of people. That was his God, and that's our default God. Did you know you're born with that God? You were born with the God of, look how great I can be. It wasn't enough for people to just see his magic and be amazed by it. He had to explain to them that his magic was there because he was great. He had to say, I'm somebody great which means someone who is great in terms of status. Simon's life pursuit was to be great in the eyes of others. Even though this magic was clearly evil, this pursuit overrode his inhibition against it. I mean, this was evil stuff that he was getting involved in, but it didn't matter to him because it gave him 
uh, glory in the sight of others. Our own pursuits of glory will deaden our sensitivity to sin as well. But then, here's the thing though. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. Saying this man is the, uh, is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him for a long time because he had, they had, ama- he had amazed them with his magic. Paid attention means to, to consider carefully implying agreement. So you're carefully watching him and agreeing with what he's doing, watching this and liking it. And it made me think of this. You will give glory to what you pay attention the most to. Does that make sense? So what is worth our attention, our devotion and our worship? I'd say most of the time it's things far greater than what gets it. But he says from the least to the greatest, from the lowest status to the greatest status, Simon's pursuit of great status meant that everyone had to know how great he was. It couldn't just be this small group of people over here that were poor, maybe tricked. It had to be everybody. They all had to know how great he was. And they said, and I want to say, I want to read this correctly. This man is the power of God that is called great. You see, the Samaritans would have been familiar with the law, at least to some degree. And they're seeing this man do incredible things. And then they're saying that it must be God who has given him these abilities. I think Simon probably encouraged it. Like, oh, yes, this power is from God. Yeah, I have power from God himself. And I am great because of the power he's given me. But not all things that amaze us come from God. He'd been amazing them for a long time. This means that these people spent a lot of time with Simon. You will fall more and more in love with what you spend more and more time with. And you will fall less and less in love with the things you spend less and less time with. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Here's a big change, right? You have this group of people that are enthralled by this magician that's doing this dark magic. And they're thinking, well, that's, that's obviously God. And he's leading them astray. He's distracting the Lord. And they're amazed by him and just watching this. And all of a sudden, here comes the gospel. And they're like, Jesus changes this. They believed. These Samaritans were able to see someone worth their amazement. Faith in Christ changes everything. Think of the worthlessness of dark magic or deceptive tricks compared to the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to Jesus, when he's in our perspective, there's no more room for idols. There's no more room for the lesser stuff. These magic tricks don't mean anything anymore because here's Jesus. You see, he preached, Philip preached the good news to them. That's the word evangelimo. And that uh, means to proclaim the good news. Here's my question. How many people do you think would have looked at these Samaritans, these particular ones? Now, all Samaritans were hated to some degree, right? But these particular ones were following around an evil magician. How many of the other Samaritans even do you think were saying, hey, you should probably stay out of that part of town. Simon's over there. He's a weird dude doing bad stuff. And there's a bunch of people with him. Just stay away. How tempting would it have been to just walk the other direction? Considering them beyond help or too strange. And yet here's Philip saying, there's people that need Christ. 
In your life, do you see the people that regularly just need Jesus? The people you work with, the people you live with, the people that you go and spend uh, time eating with that just need Jesus. And are you telling them? Do your family and friends and coworkers think that your faith means much to you? Or do they think it's a side part of your life? So these people, after Philip preaches the gospel, they believe and they are baptized. This is the first act of obedience that we're called to walk in after Christ saves us. It's not an optional thing. So I want to say this right now. If you have not, if you've been saved, but have never been baptized, do something about it. Come talk to me as soon as the service is over. Go talk to Libby. Come forward, write an email, call the church, do whatever it takes. Get this done because this is an act of obedience that is a sign and a symbol to the church of what Jesus has done in your heart. And it is important. But here's the thing. Even Simon believes and is baptized and follows Philip around. This is incredible, right? This guy who has pursued his own glory through terrible evil for so long believed. That's good, right? That's enough. I want to say something that's going to be, there might be a little shock value to it, but I'm going to qualify it in a second. Belief is not enough. Belief in truth is what's required. Does that make sense? Now I can believe that Jesus existed. I can believe that there are Christians. I can believe that there is a God. I can believe in lots of things. I have to believe that Jesus is the son of God who died to save me from my sins and that he is reigning in heaven and will forgive me of my sins because of his death on the cross. I have to believe in truth. Lots of people believe in lies and those lies do not bring them justification. Simon believed, but we're gonna see what he believed in a minute. He was baptized and he kept following Philip. He doesn't just believe and go back to a life as normal. He starts following Philip around to learn more. This seems good, right? He's following the proper steps. This seems right. But then we see something that's going to set us off a little bit. He sees signs and great miracles performed and he was amazed. While he had been the one who had amazed others for a long time, now he was amazed by the incredible signs and miracles that Philip was performing. He saw power infinitely greater than his own. And I can just hear Satan telling him, what if you could do those things? What if you could do the stuff Philip's doing? Think of how great you would be then. Because Satan is always, always lying to you. He can't give you what you can only have in Christ. He'll tell you he can, but only Christ can. Simon would never be great because of his works. His value had to come from God. And that's what he's missing. Let's keep reading in verses 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had uh, not yet fallen, uh, fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All right, we're gonna walk through this just for a minute because it can be a little bit confusing on order here, right? So uh, they received, they had not re- received the Holy Spirit. That means the, uh, to readily receive information as re- and regard it as true. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the right part. They received the word. We aren't responsible for people receiving the word of God. Did you know that? 
our only responsible um, act, our only act of obedience is telling the gospel clearly and truly. I'm not responsible for what happens when somebody receives it. They might reject it. They might cuss me. They might get mad. They might think it's ridiculous. They might think it's foolish. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to give the gospel clearly and truly. So then they, when they heard that the, the Samaritans had received the word, they sent Peter and John. So this is the first time that belief in Christ had spread beyond Israel proper. God ensures these apostles see what Christ has done in Samaria so that the church will welcome these outsider believers. Anybody think the church in Jerusalem would have had a hard time accepting the Samaritans? Absolutely. Especially if only Philip had seen it, right? If Philip, now again, nobody doubts that he's a good dude, but he, he's a Hellenist Jew, right? He's not, uh, he's not one that's a Hebrew Jew. So if he came back saying, hey, the Samaritans, they're saved now. I can just hear the ones that are the, the Hebrew Jewish men and women saying, mm, not like us, they're not. They're, they're, they, they might have something, they believe in something, but they're, they're not the same as us. So Peter and John come down to, to make sure they're getting to say, we saw what God did. So they came down, they prayed that these people might receive the Holy Spirit because they'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. All right, so to, this is an odd order of events for, uh, for the New Testament, right? Almost every account in the New Testament, we see this order. Faith, then filling of the Holy Spirit, then somebody gets baptized, right? Like that, that's pretty much the, the order this goes in. This one is different because the Jerusalem church would have been so reluctant to accept that Christ would save a Samaritan. And even more reluctant to hear that they received the same Holy Spirit. Do you know how hard that would have been? To say now there is no distinction between Samaritan and Jerusalemite. Peter and John were able to authenticate this by being eyewitnesses. And they got to go back to the church in Jerusalem and say, we saw people filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw it happen. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the beginning of Acts, we see that some, some methods that uh, aren't repeated anywhere else in the New Testament. And this is because God is establishing the church, right? So we're not supposed to take this as this is the order things normally go in. This is Jesus establishing the church and making sure the whole church understands here's who Christ came to save. So then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to say this, this is not prescriptive. In the very next passage that we're going to study next week, we see an Ethiopian who receives the gospel, is baptized and is not visited by an apostle or has hands laid on him, right? But he still receives the spirit because we see that he receives the gospel. That does not mean that he wasn't truly converted or didn't receive the Holy Spirit. We, we know he was. So we have to know this isn't prescriptive. This isn't that the only way for the Holy Spirit to be received is by an apostle coming and saying, I'm going to put my hand on you, pray for you. The Holy Spirit comes upon faith, right? This is the establishment of the church. So there's a way that's moved forward to make sure that everybody understood what Jesus was doing. It was for the church's benefit. But now we know this happens automatically. When you have faith in Christ, true converting faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit will fill you and change you to a new person. And from that moment forward, you will have the ability to live like Christ wants you to. Are you gonna fail? Absolutely. But now you're free from the chains of sin and you're able to live in the goodness of Christ. Let's read a little bit more, starting in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of hands of the apostles, uh, laying on of the apostles' hands, 
he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So Simon saw this, he's there, he's following Philip around still. He sees Peter and John show up. I'm sure he's amazed by them. Like, oh, there's bigger than Philip, okay. And all of a sudden he sees Peter and John pray for these Samaritans who believed in Christ. And he sees that they received the Holy Spirit. This passage doesn't specify how everyone is able to tell that the Spirit had filled someone, but it was obviously clear to everyone that this person was filled with the Spirit. Simon saw ordinary people with no magic of their own undergo incredible change from the great power of the Holy Spirit. He saw the genuine power that he pretended to have and he wanted it. So what does he do? He goes up to Peter and John, he says, hey, how much? How much money do I need to give you that I can do what you're doing? As if this was a power that belonged to the, the apostles at all. Did they own the giving of the Holy Spirit? No, that belongs to God. And Simon was trying to buy God's power from somebody else. He was used to working in evil magic where his demonic power was his to do with all he wanted. The giving of the Holy Spirit is God's alone. And he said, on any, I want to have this power so that on anyone that I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about this is from his background, who do you think he would have given the Holy Spirit to? I'm sure he wanted to sound holy, right? I'm sure to Peter and John, he's like, oh, I'd love to just give the Holy Spirit out to people. I'm just trying to be a blessing. How much do you think he would have charged for the Holy Spirit? How much do you think he would have said, hey, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, but that's going to be, it's going to be some gold my way. Or maybe he reserves it for just his friends or just the ones who would make the most of him. He wants this power, but it is not to spread the gospel. He wants this power for his own glory. Peter said something very rude to him. He said, may your silver perish with you. It's a very strong statement. That word perish means to be, to die, your, uh, die a complete death, to be sent to hell. Peter is saying that Simon's money should be sent to destruction in hell along with him. That's not a nice thing to say, is it? He said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. This is another indicator that Simon's belief was not true faith. He didn't see God's gift as a gift. He wanted to buy it. He thought he was coming to the table with something to offer, to work for his own salvation. He thought he could come there and say, oh, this great power I have, I'll, God, I'll, I'll use some of this and then I can do more. I can do bigger things. You, you give me some of what you got, I'll give you some, some of what I've got. We'll call it even. But we need to make something clear here, church. We come to the table with nothing. 
We have no goodness. We have no power. We have nothing that we can come to barter with God. It is only because he is good that we have anything. We come only with our brokenness, our sinfulness, and our failures. Christ brings his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. So Peter then continues his his rudeness and says, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. This This is inheritance terminology. Peter is telling Simon that he's not a son of God and therefore he has no inheritance from him. He says he's not right before, or his heart's not right before God. That means pertaining to being just and right. Simon's heart was not justified before God because he didn't believe the truth that Christ and Christ alone saves. He believed in a Christ who would make his good life even better. And he worked for and paid for all the power that God would give him. Uh, he, as he worked for and paid for the power of God that would give him more glory. How many people attending churches across the world today have believed in a false gospel and are truly lost? Believed in a gospel that's not real, a God that's going to just make my good life better. A Jesus who I'll do my part, you do your part, and we'll, we'll meet somewhere. Church, we don't come bringing anything to the table other than brokenness, sinfulness, and failures. And that's enough. Because Christ meets us right there in our brokenness, our sinfulness, and our failures and says, I'll take all that. That's mine now. And then he gives us his goodness and says, now that's yours. That's grace. We bring nothing. Then he says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, uh, pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. The word repent means to change one's way of life as the result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. Can we change on our own? Of course not. The command to repent is the command to have real faith in Jesus who offers forgiveness of sin and a new life in him. Then repentance can be lived in as a result of salvation. Peter is telling Simon, be saved by Christ. He says, pray this, pray and ask this, if, that if possible, you may be forgiven. That word if possible is a struggle for me, right? This does not mean that Simon's sin was unforgivable, right? It's not that he had unforgivable sin. The struggle of ability was not with God, but with Simon. Would Simon be able to give up his false throne and acknowledge as Jesus as Lord? That was the struggle. Would he be able to let go of this pursuit of glory for self in order to glorify God? It says uh, he's judging the intent of his heart. We are incredible about putting on a good show, aren't we? Anybody in here good at it? Who's ever been asked how you are and said good and that was the biggest lie you've told that day? We're so good at it. God sees our hearts. He's not fooled by our show. And God gave Peter the ability to see straight through Simon as well. He says, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. 
The gall of bitterness is actually something that's uh, an Old Testament phrase. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 29, 16 through 19. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen the detest- their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry. Here's the point. Idolatry is a, is a poison to the person in it and to every believer around him. So we have to ask ourselves this question. How is my idolatry poisoning me? And how is it poisoning those around me? He says, though, not only do I see you in the, the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, You see, Simon was still tied to his sin because he didn't have real faith in Christ. Because if he had faith in Christ, you know where his sin would have been? Tied to the cross. But instead of his sin being tied to the cross, he was still bonded to it. So Peter's, I mean, he's calling this out saying, Simon, you are lost. Pray that Jesus would save you and turn from your sin. Turn towards Christ, believe in him. And Simon's answer is, pray for me. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come over me. This answer is very sad. Instead of believing in Christ, asking for forgiveness and walking in repentance, Simon just asks the apostles to pray that he doesn't face the consequences of his sin. He just says, hey, actually, would you pray that that doesn't happen to me? I know you're saying that the the penalty for sin is death, but would you pray that that's not my penalty? That's an impossible prayer because God's a just God. The only escape from condemnation for sin is through Jesus Christ. But Simon was unwilling to give up his throne for Jesus to sit on it. Last verse, verse 25 Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching uh, the gospel to many of many villages of the Samaritans. This is what the apostles, the deacons and the others, uh, the other dispersed Christians did. They brought the gospel message with them wherever they went. They continued to bring the gospel throughout Samaria because Jesus was saving people. People that most others didn't even care about. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I have just a couple of questions for us to ponder over this. You may have read this story before and, and been had, uh, interested by it. So the story of Simon the magician and his false belief, I think it, means, it makes us have to ask two big questions. The first one's this, what are you most amazed by? Are you most amazed by things of the world or are you most amazed by the things of God? Because maybe there's a time that you need to set aside and say, I need to repent of not living in awe of God. Second of all, what are your idols? 
And do you see the poison that they put in your life? And do you see the poison they put in the lives of those around you? And will you repent of those? Let's pray. God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you help us to take the warning from this story that there is nobody that deserves to be on a throne but you. God, forgive us for being so easily amazed by lesser things. Forgive us for being so slow to be amazed by you and what you've given us. Lord, forgive us for we've lifted other things into the position that only you should have in our lives. Help us to be a people that worships and makes much of you and that brings the gospel to people who desperately need it. Christ, we love you so much. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand and respond however God leads you.